gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. When And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Verse 6 says, But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly or harshly with her, she fled from her faith. Father, I pray as we just look at your word here in the next few moments. God, as we've just been singing and lifting our voices in praise. And, and Lord, I just want to thank you for the testimonies that were mentioned tonight. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies that, that weren't mentioned, but you know. God, you are definitely worthy of, of all the glory, worthy of all the praise. You're worthy of our worship. And God, I pray as we just look at your word here for the next few moments. Lord, there's still a lot of things going on in our lives, a lot of busyness, Lord, a lot of things. But Lord, may we learn from the good of people in Scripture. But Lord, may we not be ignorant of the lessons we can learn from the mistakes of people in Scripture. And Lord, I pray you just be with us tonight. Thank you for everyone's here, Lord. It's just encouraging to see the people here. We thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. I tell you, I've really enjoyed um, going through this life of Abraham, like I said, uh, Will and Micah and myself. And, and next week, Will will be back up uh, teaching next Sunday night. And I look forward to that. And then Micah will go forward. But uh, we've enjoyed looking at the call of Abraham or Abram. I wouldn't say and call them out of the Ur of Chaldees and all these things. And, and Abraham or Abram, if you would, kind of went through a period, if you would, of what we call a, well, what do I do now? You ever sometimes in life, you're busy, you're busy, you're busy, and then all of a sudden there's this break, and you're like, okay, now what do I do? I had this battle, I had this anxiety, I had, I had this mountain that I've overcome, God's helped me, and now I'm just kind of in this lull period. What do I do now? He's coming off, as we studied in chapter 14, a great victory over the kings. Will did an excellent job explaining that, where Abram uh, heard that Lot was taken prisoner, his nephew, and it says that Abraham went there, and he battled against the kings, and he defeated the kings. And as he come back, uh, what does it say happened? He got to meet a king, Melchizedek. We studied him even more in Hebrews that we've been looking at on Wednesday nights. And Melchizedek means, it means the king of righteousness. And it says Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem meaning peace, meaning that Abram coming back met the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And we saw that and that how he battled in that. Then you came to chapter number 15. And Abraham, the battle's over. It's kind of like that enthusiasm, that drive is like done. It's kind of like, uh, have you ever seen a team win a championship in something? They've worked hard. They've done everything relentless to win. But when it's over, the next day, it's kind of like, well, what do we do now? It's kind of like December 26th, right? You know, all that efforts went into it. And you probably don't get to December 26th. December 25th, probably about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you're like, now what do I do? Let's just take all the stuff down. Let's get back to, I mean, you kind of just wonder, what do you do? You reach that what now point in your life, that lull period. And we see in chapter number 15 how God does a vision and he renews the covenant that he made with Abram. And, and Micah spoke on that last time. It was very excellent. I enjoyed listening to that message. 
and that idea that in his what if period or what now period that how God and I'm thankful for that as we looked at this morning never leaves us when we're perplexed or when we're struggling and Abram was at a point there where he was struggling we're going to see tonight the same thing to where we're at a point where Sarai is struggling Sarah's struggling Abraham to a degree is struggling God has given a promise God has said some things and they're struggling right now in that by the way we need to remember they're they're at a weak point and that's what it means to struggle sometimes be weak and I have this in my notes godly Christians aren't those who never become weak but instead learn when they're weak that's when God is the strongest in their life can I tell you in your life you're not godly just because you're never weak can I in fact may I say you are weak spiritually when you constantly have to be the strong one you have to be in control but godly Christians aren't those who never become weak but instead learn when we are weak then God is strong can I also say that Christian life is not always a victorious life? It's not always one where we fight for the victory. But can I tell you something? We don't fight for the victory. We fight from the victory. And that's something we need to remember. You say, what do you mean? I don't fight for the victory. I fight from the victory. As we mentioned this morning, we have a loving ownership. That God loves us. We are the children of God. We already have the victory. If God does nothing else for you or for me in my life ever again, we are fighting from the victory because we're saved. We're children of God. And, and as we said this morning in Sunday school, it's kind of like in the relationship with a husband and wife, when you say, till death do us part as believers, it's like this, till death brings us closer to Christ where we're one with him and that we're with him in that. And we're saved and, and we're winning, not because of our circumstances, but because we're a child of God. And aren't you thankful God always wins? That God is always the winning side. So we come to chapter number 16. And as I said, the thought I want us to look at as we close this year, and Lord willing, enter into a new year, the thought about beware of spiritual detours. Now let me tell you what a detour is. The definition of detour is to deviate from a direct course. It's a temporary or alternative route to what the main one is. It means to deviate from the direct course. It's a temporary or alternative route. And can I tell you in our lives spiritually, we need to beware of unnecessary detours. Unnecessary detours. Deviating from God's direct course. And can I tell you in this chapter, Abraham and, or Abram and Sarai, they go away from God's plan. They go away from God's course. Why? Because they truly believe they have a better way. Can I tell you, if you, when I asked you that question, do you feel like you honored God Glorify God with your life this year. Can I tell you, in your life and in my life, in those moments that we did not glorify God, it was not because we stayed the course. It's because we took a detour. We thought we had a better way. We thought that we knew a shortcut, if you would, a way that we should go about doing it. And you know, we've all been in some unneeded or unnecessary detours geographically. I would ask you if you've ever gotten lost. Now, a lot of guys in our pride say, we've never gotten lost. We just want to take the scenic route, right? How many of you ladies have ever heard that? Oh, we ain't lost, baby. I just want you to see the beautiful countryside right here. Or the beautiful, well, normally, if I get lost, I don't get lost in the beautiful countryside. I get lost where everybody's like locking doors and like scared out of their mind. You know what I mean? You're like, and GPS is just laughing going, sorry, you did it. You know, kind of one of those things. And we've all done that geographically. But you ever wondered sometimes, like I remember sometimes going down the road and I'm thinking, I think I know a shortcut. 
to only find out this. And maybe you know this. Let's be honest. Sometimes shortcuts take longer. You ever said, I'm going to do this shortcut to only find out it took maybe twice as long to get done because you're like, I know it needs to be done this way. I know it can be done this way, but I think there's a better way, a faster way to get to the result that I want to get to. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, especially during this time of year, we come driving down the bypass towards the mall, you know, and then you got that, that great traffic light right there coming down the bypass onto North Columbia. And, you know, it's like that turning, the little arrows only last like five and a half seconds. You know what I mean? And I always see right before you get there, right when you get past belt, people pull into the parking lot, drive across a couple parking lots, hit a couple speed bumps to only get to where they're going. And five other cars already beat them there for the same thing. And you can't turn left across North Columbia because that's just like suicide. You know, you can't get there to only realize if they just waited three minutes, they could have had the green arrow and everything been all right. Now, I can tell from some of you, you've done that before. <laughs> I can tell that you've done that. And like you're like, what did I do? But in the moment that you turned, you truly believe you had a better way. You thought you had a better, more direct, a quicker way to get to where you wanted to go. Abraham thought the same thing. Now, before we throw a lot of rocks at Abraham because of what we read in this passage, we need to understand that sometimes when we pray and we beg God for things, God does not answer things in the timely fashion that you would like it or I would like it. From the promise God made to Abraham, from the promise of Isaac to the birth of Isaac was around 25 years. Now, I didn't say 25 months. It's 25 years. That's a long time. That's a long time for God to promise somebody something, especially at their age, because at their age, Abram and Sarah, they're already well past childbearing years. You know, sometimes you ever have someone say, hey, don't tell them this. I, I get this sometimes. Don't tell the kids this unless you know for sure we're going to be able to do it. And I'm finding out you can, a lot of heartache, okay? Like, don't tell them this unless you know you're going to be able to do it and do it when you say it. Can you imagine the hope? That welled up in Abram. Hey, let's just be honest. Ladies, the hope that welled up in Sarai. And Abram said, hey, guess what God told me? We're going to have a baby. And it took 25 years. That's a long time. I'm pretty sure in that time period, Sarai saw a lot of other ladies have children. She probably saw them have multiple children. Abraham was getting older, probably getting a little bit slower, a little more gray. Things maybe not going as quickly as they wanted. And we see here where Sarah and Abram decided, well, let's take a detour from God's plan. I think we have a quicker way to get to where we want and what God has promised. And we want to see some things here that might could hopefully be a, be a help to us as we study this part of Scripture. Um, I want to see the proposition here. The proposition, let's read back in verses 1 through 3, if you would. Uh, now, I want you to listen to the proposition of the wrong detour. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from, from bearing. I pray thee, go into the, my maid. It may be that I may obtain children 
by her. And I'll stop there for a moment. Sarah had, had no children. Her, it's a, what we call a circumstantial delay. You know, and, and thinking about being delayed, um, it kind of makes me think of it like this, is that sometimes in our lives, we take entrance to detours and we can't get back. Let, let me explain it like this. Whenever we go to Tennessee or back from Tennessee or whatever we do, and I'm coming down 75, I go right downtown. I don't take 285. I mean, that's just like the Lord bless thee and keep thee if you decide to hit 285, you know. I go down, I go down there right smack dab in the middle of town. And it's notorious to always watch as I'm getting off 75, I'm coming 75 south, and I'm going to hit 20 east going towards Augusta, that somebody in the far left lane is going to decide after many miles of exit, 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 phew, is going to come across. I always enjoy seeing the person that gets like right up there and they kind of have to back up a little bit and do everything they can to get there. You know why? Because all of a sudden in their mind, they thought, this is it. This is what we need to do. And we see them go all the way over. Have you ever done this? Have you ever taken an exit to only realize as soon as you took the exit, I'm not going the right way? Okay, all of us. Okay, that's pretty cool. Okay. I thought I wasn't going to get nothing out of that tonight. Okay, good. But can I tell you something? When you discovered you took a wrong detour, just because you realize you're taking the wrong detour doesn't mean that you can get off that detour as quickly as you got on. In that moment that you made that decision to go, when you realize that's the wrong way, a lot of times you can't just jump right back over, can you? Sometimes you got to go a few miles and a lot of minutes to make a U-turn and come back. And, and I just want to tell you, sometimes, and understand me when I say this, sometimes it takes longer to get back right than it took to get wrong, if I can say it like that. Sometimes it takes longer to get back right than it took to get wrong. Now, I'm very thankful that any moment I can be right with God. I'm not saying that. Well, I'm saying that we earn forgiveness at all. But we all know that when we finally decide to do things that are not pleasing to God and we institute those habits and those things in our life, sometimes it takes a long time to get back on the right track. It takes a long time to get back on the right track with that. And I see this proposition of Sarah. Sarah had no children. By the way, can I just tell you this? With your circumstances and your leg, can I say a good test of your resiliency for God is when there's something you've been waiting on God to answer but God has taken an awfully long, awful long time for it to happen. Let me ask you a question. If you had a look at your prayer list tonight, is there anything, you don't have to answer it loud, is there anything that you've been praying for for a long time? You want to test your resiliency? Let me ask you, are you still praying for it? Are you still praying, expecting God to do it like you've been praying this for a long time? And what's your attitude towards God right now because God's not answered that as quickly as you wanted it to? What is your attitude? What's my attitude with the process of God answering that prayer? You know, Abraham and Sarah, like I said, waited 25 years from the promise to the birth. And can I tell you, sometimes in life we're tempted to come up with ungodly ideas when the good ideas take a while to happen. We're tempted to come up with ungodly or wrong ideas when the good ideas don't happen. It's kind of like this. Sarah, what? She's like, I have no child. I can't have one. But I do have a handmaid here. Can I just be honest, modern lingo? 
She started scheming. I have children. It is awesome to overhear them scheme to want to do something. When I hear them, what do you think daddy will say? What, what you think about mama? You think mama? Well, you better, you better say it like this, and you better, don't forget this. You know, what are they doing over there? They're scheming. By the way, adults do it too. We do it a lot. In fact, the adults probably do it to the children more. The children do it to the adults, to be honest with you. And we do that. And Sarah is saying, I have no child. I can't have a child, but I have a handmaid. And I want you to listen to the language here in this verse here. I want you to listen to verse 2. What does, he say? what does she say? She said, the Lord has restrained me. What she said, the Lord has gave us this handmaid, but also the Lord hath restrained me. So at the end of it, what is the ultimate scheme that Sarai is saying? God said we didn't have a child. Hey, God's given us this handmaid. Hey, God's not letting me do it. So we start seeing how she starts blaming who? Lord. Man, it goes back to Adam and Eve, right? I mean, I mean, we'll talk about that again in a moment. It's all every time. Eve, what'd you do? Excuse me, Adam, what'd you do? Oh, Lord, it's the wife that you gave me. Eve, why did you, why did you sin? Oh, it's the serpent that you created. Everything went back to, really, God, this is your fault. If you didn't create the serpent, we wouldn't have this problem. Adam's like, if you didn't create woman, I wouldn't have this problem. I mean, there's all these things. It's all, it's all really, ultimately, they're all saying it's God's fault. So let's scheme in a way to get from God what we want from God without doing it God's way. And that's the detour. That's the temptation that we see here. And, and, and by the way, can, and I, I, I thought it was a great quote. Uh, it said this. It said, the ability to do something doesn't give you the authorization to do it. Just because you have the ability to do something doesn't give you the clearance by God to say, hey, let's go with it. You know, you have a lot of choice and free will in your life to do what you want to do. But just because you had the freedom in Christ to do those things don't mean you have the authority of Christ to do it. It's got to be not my will, but thine be done. You know, I've heard people sometimes say this. Well, if God didn't mean for this to happen, then why didn't God stop it? I mean, if God didn't want this to happen, why didn't God stop it? Can I tell you, just because God didn't stop it doesn't mean you shouldn't have stopped it yourself. Well, if God didn't want me to end up doing this, God should have stopped me in my tracks. Now, by the way, it's a dangerous game to play because God's way of stopping things might not be the same way you think of stopping things. And so sometimes God just says, you know what? I'm going to let you reveal your character. I'm going to let you reveal your resiliency with me. And, and, and by the way, God never bypasses his order in order to make us happy. Well, God's plan, he doesn't bypass that just so we can be happy. So, so look what he says here, the proposal. She's like, take Hagar, my handmaid, take her for you, and if you take Hagar, I can still get what I want. Hey, by the way, there was nothing in the world wrong with wanting a child. Nothing. There's nothing for wrong with Sarah wanting to have a child for Abraham wanting to have a child. There was nothing wrong with that. But can I tell you, a good thing done the bad way makes it a bad thing. A good thing done the wrong way or a bad way makes it a bad thing. You ever hear this phrase, the end justifies the means? Be careful living that way. It's never right to do wrong 
in order to get something right. It's never right to do wrong in order to do that. God does not contradict himself. And I have to stop here for a moment. Sarai, I love her, and I love this character, and I'm not above any of this, but we see ultimately her desires are so corrupt she doesn't care. I don't know if you notice this in verse number three. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, um, the handmaid of the Egyptian, after Abram and dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Can I tell you, the role of Abram's wife was already taken. Who God wanted Abram to be married to was taken. Sarai did not care what she had to do to get what she wanted. Be careful when you do that. Because here's what Sarai did. She justified her actions to get what she wanted and what God ultimately promised. It's kind of like this. God does not promise that you're going to have everything in life. But God does promise that you can have peace, God, you can have joy. And God does promise that there's times we can have happiness in our life. But that doesn't mean I can do whatever I want to try to accomplish that peace, to try to get that joy, to try to get that happiness in my life. And beware of corrupt desires. I mean, just imagine this for a moment. Sarah said, hey, I'm going to give you her, and I want you to treat her like you treat me. Now, at some point, we really kind of look down on Sarah. But at some point, I'm thinking, Abraham, step up, be the man. I'm just being honest. Be the man. And we see here, and by the way, if I can say it like this, it does not make it right when someone wants to do wrong. If you say, I don't want to offend them, I'd rather not offend them and let them have what they want. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, if you say, well... They really wanted this. I don't really want to offend them. So I'm just going to go along with them because I don't want to offend them. You're not doing what's right. It's always right to stand even when those people that are closest to you in your life. It's always right to stand in the wrong thing, to stand for the right thing. And we see here why. Because God's authority is supreme. As we looked at this morning, God's supreme sovereignty, God's power over these things. It's never right to do wrong in those situations. And we have to be careful the end justify the means. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel both offered sacrifices to God, right? But only one of them was acceptable. The end does not justify the means. They both offered sacrifices, but God looked at Cain and said, nope, that's not the way I wanted it. The means was not correct. Whenever you had Ananias and Sapphira, as we studied in Acts a few months ago, Ananias and Sapphira both brought an offering, but they lied. They lied to the Holy Ghost. Hey, Uzzah in the Old Testament, remember, is they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines. And they didn't bring it back the way God said. He said, bring it back with the priest, bring it back on poles, nobody touches it. What does it say David did? He put the Ark on a new cart, and they transported it in a means in a way not right. And when they got to a certain threshing floor, it says Uzzah was walking by, the cattle uh, oxen got stirred, and the ark started to fall off. And who wouldn't naturally want to keep the ark from falling over? Uzzah put his hand up and, to do something right, and God killed him. You can read it in Scripture. He killed him. Why? Because the end does not justify the means. Beware of the detour spiritually you're going down. They're probably not going to give you the outcome that you want. Well, it's okay. I think it's going to be all right. Well, it probably won't. And we see this compromising decision. And so we see this here. So he finally says, hey, uh, 
Take, take him, take uh, uh, her to be Hagar to be your wife. And look what it says in verse four. This is where you should read, but Abraham said, the Lord forbid it, but you don't see that. And he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And we see Abraham's compromise here. It's classic case that we preach to kids, beware of peer pressure. Beware of peer pressure. Now, this is where Adam failed. Now, let me say something about Adam and Eve, okay? Eve was deceived. Adam was outright disobedient. God told Adam, don't eat of the tree. Adam's responsibility was to convey that to Eve. Eve was deceived by the serpent. Adam just outright disobeyed God. And you compromise and make a compromising decision. God gave the command to Adam. And you know, a lot of times we see people that, and sometimes, let's just be honest, let's, let's not be too judgy here, but sometimes we even see ourselves doing things and allowing things that we never thought we would allow and things we never thought we'd do and see people doing things we never thought they'd do. And you know why? Because this pressure of circumstances just got too heavy. They just get tired fighting. Can I tell you something you're going to be tempted at during this whole year? Satan's just going to say, man, this is really a lot to keep up with, ain't it? I mean, read your Bible, watch your temper, I mean, go to church. I mean, don't watch this, do this, do that, don't do that. I mean, don't this, do, ain't this just a lot? Aren't you tired? You know what he's trying to get you to do? Just quit fighting. In our Christian lives, as long as I live in this flesh, I'm going to struggle and fight with this flesh to the day I die. But there's going to be a pretty horrible place in my life spiritually when I quit fighting against the struggles. When I quit fighting and I compromise, it'll take me places. Because you even see at the end of verse number two, what does it say? When she says, the, Lo the Lord hath restrained me. And what does it say at the end of verse two? And Abram hearkened to her, or to her voice. He gave in to that. A lot of verses here, won't read them, but Proverbs 1.10 is a great verse talking about how we need to watch uh, uh, evil counsel. 1 Corinthians 15.33, another great verse with that. But can I tell you, as we're wrapping up tonight, is this, is the idea of compromising. Can I tell you, a great step towards compromise is listening to wrong advice. There's going to be people in your life, but a good way for you to start taking detours away from God's plan in your life is to start listening to the wrong advice. I know I'm somebody that talks a lot. I've kind of caught on to that. Some of you aren't real far behind me. I like texting people. I love this age. And I know sometimes I feel bad, like, man, I'm sending them too many. Like, I like to send texts to encourage people, send them Bible verses, pray for them. I really like doing it. And to me, it's not just one mass text. I really, when I send you something, I mean it. And every now and then, something in my mind says, hmm, probably I'll leave them alone. They don't need that noise. Can I be honest with you? We all got a lot of noise from out here that's beating on us every single day. And I encourage us all together. I don't mean you need to blow up our phones with texting, okay? Someone's like, text, that's my New Year's resolution. That's not what I said, okay? But what I am saying is this. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. We ought to surround ourselves with people that influence us with the right kind of advice. There's going to be many people in the world that are going to tell you, you know what? Why don't you just back off this a little bit? Why don't you just back off? And, and I share this with people, and I know our time's gone. 
and there's a lot more to here, but I knew I wasn't going to get through all this chapter. I'll let Will do what he wants to do with that, you know, for the next week. But I'll tell you a concern I have for our church, if I just may say this. Sitting where I sit and standing where I stand, I get to see a lot of really interesting things during services, really fun times. And I know we joke, I can identify people where they sit. Sunday nights, you guys just throw me off. I just Sunday night, Wednesday night. But Sunday mornings, I pretty much know where people are. I know Miss Faye is going to sit there for all of eternity right there. I got that spot. <laughs> and and, it, and then just in case you know, that's Miss Faye's spot. Okay, right there, right there. Okay. That's right, that's right. But if I can be honest with you, there weren't people here this month at church that were, that were here in January, February, March. I know it ain't all about church attendance. I'm not making it all about church attendance, okay? I'm not doing that. But I'm wondering who has been talking to them. Their conscience, their job, their circumstances saying, do you really have to go? Back off Sunday night. Back off Wednesday night. Back off Sunday school. Hey, back off Sunday morning. You know what I mean? If you're not careful, there's not this urge in us, if we're not careful to be more faithful to God, it's always to pull back away. Everyone in this life is going to be faithful. The question is, are we going to be faithful to God or faithful to our own desires? And I tell you, I look, and I look around, and I'm so glad there's faces here that I didn't see in January. Faces here this, this month that God's brought. And I thank God for that. That's awesome. But it also saddens me because I wonder sometimes where some people are that I've kind of seen it just tail off. I ain't talking about get mad and leave. But just slowly, you know what I mean? Just you start missing them. And I tell you, it breaks my heart. Because I'm more than likely, they're probably not sitting faithfully somewhere else. Just, just be honest. They're probably just, hey, wouldn't it be better to do this? And that's what I encourage you. As you enter this year, beware of spiritual detours where your mind and your heart and maybe other people around you say, you know what? I know this is what God wants, but I think this might be a better detour for you. And we didn't take time to read it. But can I tell you something? And I don't really want to jump all into this, but I'll say this and pray. Abraham's decision to take this detour, Abraham is known as the father of the children of Israel. Abraham is also the father of the children of Islam of all the Arabs. Beware of one decision that you think is not a big deal. The Arabs and the Jews dwell together and they have fought for centuries. And you know what? It all started with, hey, Abraham, I got an idea. Let's see what we should do here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the time we can.